Well, today's message is simply called being a blessing to Israel. Being a blessing to Israel. Now, this is a portion which is really the, the beginning of Israel. God's covenant with Abraham. When it comes to him, and it tells him from verse 1 to verse 3 onwards, to come out of your country, go, come out of your family, come out of your father's house, and go to a land that I will show you, and then I will make you a great nation that is really the nation of Israel. In verse 3, God tells him, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Of course, that's also a reference to Jesus Christ, that through the seed of Abraham, who is Jesus, all the families of the earth is blessed. Now, we know from this portion that it is God's desire to bless those who bless Abraham. God wants to bless those who bless Abraham or the nation of Israel. And the word curse simply means to treat with contempt and dishonor. So I just want you to hold this thought and this verse as I go on to the other portions of Scripture. But understand this. This is really the genesis and the birth of Israel. Now turn to Psalm 122, verse 6. Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Verse 6. May they prosper who love you. 1998, I was spending some time just reading several books. And I happened to be reading about Israel, about prophecy, and about Jerusalem. And as I was reading that, this impression came upon my heart by the Holy Spirit to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And may those who love you be at peace. Some translation says, may they prosper who love you. Now, I'm just sharing with you my journey about understanding this revelation about being a blessing to Israel. Now, is it okay to be at peace? Is it okay to prosper? Yes, amen. All right. So the Bible says that those who pray for the peace of Jerusalem will prosper or be at peace. So from that moment on, I began to pray regularly for Israel, primarily for the salvation of the Jews. But over the years, I got busy in ministry, and in a sense, I stopped praying for Israel. I would pray occasionally, but not as regularly as I did in the beginning. But what happened during that phase of my journey was that God gave me a love for the nation of Israel and for the Jews. 2004, I was in America. And during that time, God opened the door for me to go and visit a Messianic congregation. A Messianic congregation are Jews who believe in Jesus Christ. So they're not Jews who follow Judaism, but they are Jews who follow Christ. But at the same time, they observe some of the feasts also. So while I was there in that worship on a Saturday, I was really blessed. And I remember wanting to bless Israel one way or the other. So I saw the seed of $100 for the ministry of Aliyah. Aliyah is... Um, in, in, in Hebrew, it means to come back home. So there is a ministry where uh, Jews scattered all over the world are coming back home. And sometimes it costs money to bring them back. So I sold a, a seed of $100 for that. After that, I completely forgot about it. Got busy in ministry again. Then I remember, um, you know, some years back, one of our brothers from my church was going to Israel. 
So we took up an offering and we gave that as a seed for Israel. So I'm just detailing you the journey, even for our church, for understanding this revelation of blessing Israel. But it was only in last year, 2017, God, God spoke to me through these verses that I will share with you about His plan for the nation of Israel. All right? I want to turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Can you see that as plainly as it is written? This verse, I believe, reveals God's order in His plan of salvation. And we know that God has order for everything. There's order in his finances. There's order for government. For example, in the family, the headship is on the father. That is God's order. When we do it according to God's order, there's always God's blessing there. So this tells us God's order for salvation, that the gospel is for everyone who believes, but for the Jew first, and then also for the Greek or for the Gentiles. So this tells us God's order. Not just a good way of doing things, not just the best way of doing things, but God's way of doing things. That's the way I believe God thinks and the way He works and also the way He blesses. So if you can see in the scriptures, we see that there is an order in how God brought the gospel. If we look at Matthew chapter 15 verse 24, Jesus Himself said that He is sent first to the lost sheep of Israel. Matthew chapter 15, verse 24. That he sent first to the nation of Israel, to the lost sheep of Israel. When the Syrophoenician woman came and asked Jesus to heal her child, Jesus said, this bread, referring to healing, belongs first to the children of Israel. So there is an order that we see in Jesus' ministry. In Acts chapter 3, verse 25 to 26, if you will turn there, we see this order also in the ministry of the apostles from the beginning. Acts chapter 3, verse 25 to 26. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with the fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's quoting Genesis chapter 12, verse 26. To you first, here Peter is speaking to the Jews. And Peter is saying, to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So Peter is saying, Jesus came first to the Jews, to give the gospel to the Jews. And that was the order the apostles followed. Acts chapter 13, verse 5. When they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. If you go to verse 14, you see the same. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. So everywhere Paul went, he would first go to the synagogue and preach the gospel to the Jews. Yes, Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles, but he would also first always go to the Jews. 
So here we see the priority of Israel. Number one, we saw the peace of Israel in God's plan. Number two, we see the priority of Israel. The gospel to go to the Jews first. And this I began to understand. That God still has a plan and a heart for the nation of Israel and for the Jews. And I also understood this. That if I will understand God's order. And if I will bless the work of evangelism. That is taking the gospel to the Jews or to Israel. He will also bless our works and our ministry in a greater capacity. That's what I began to understand. Now, this does not mean that the nation of Israel or the Jews are better or special above other people. It's not an exclusivity teaching. But it only means that they are a part of God's plan in history. And it's important that I understand that plan and I support that plan of God. Now, there has been uh, teaching that has been going around in the body of Christ, uh, beginning from the time of the birth of the church, the establishing of the church, uh, and it's called replacement theology. Replacement theology is based on allegorical interpretations of the promises of God to the nation of Israel. And this teaching says that the church has replaced Israel. So all the prophecies and promises given to Israel are for the church today. That is what the allegorical interpretation of scriptures have produced, as we know as replacement theology today. And you will find that a lot of the old fathers of the church, Oregon, uh, Jerome, um, Augustus, even Martin Luther, they, uh, they had uh, strong resentment towards the Jews. Uh, they, in their teachings, they were anti-Semitic or they were against Israel or the Jews. And you see this kind of teaching prevalent a lot in the older traditional churches like the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, the Episcopals, the other denominations. But if you really study the scriptures, we know that God's promises for Israel was literal, not allegorical. Why? There's a literal nation of Israel today that exists as a fulfillment of prophecy. Abraham was literal. Jacob was literal. The nation was a literal nation. So replacement theology has no scriptural basis. Rather, what the Bible teaches us is in Romans chapter 11. If you will turn there, Romans chapter 11. What the Bible teaches is, to put it very simply, and using the terms of the Bible, grafted in theology. Okay, we are grafted in to the commonwealth of Israel. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I said then, has God cast away his people? Referring to Israel. Here in the context, Paul is talking about Israel. Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, go down to verse 11. <clears throat> I say then, <clears throat> have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, the word them here is referring to Israel, through their fall, that means the rejection of Christ, 
to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So now today we see God blessing the Gentile church. God releasing His glory upon the Gentile church. God releasing His blessings on the Gentile church to provoke Israel to jealousy and to turn their heart back to Jesus. Verse 12. Now if their fall, referring to Israel, the Jews, is riches for the world. You see, when Israel said no to Jesus as the Messiah, it opened a door for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. We can see that Paul said that from now on I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Now that did not mean he did not stop going to the Jews, but they began to preach the word to the Gentiles more and more after the rejection from the Jews. So their fall is riches for the world. In other words, when, when Israel shut the door on Jesus as the Messiah, it was riches for the world. In other words, the, the message of the gospel and the peace and the glory and the blessing that it gives, it went out towards the whole world. Their failure, riches for the Gentiles. We have benefited tremendously. Amen. How much more the fullness? In other words, when Israel will come back, there will be a fullness of God's glory that we have not seen yet. Can you say amen? Amen. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if they're being cast away, is the reconciling of the world. That means Israel, for a time being cast away, has brought the world to God, reconciled the world to God. What will their acceptance be? In other words, their acceptance back into the family of God or the acceptance of the Jews as Jesus as the Messiah be but life from the dead. I want you to hold that thought. I'll come back to this later on. All right? Look at verse 17. And if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Now this referring to Israel and the church. The church or the Gentile church is considered to be the wild olive tree. Grafted in to the olive tree which is Israel. And with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the, but the root supports you. Amen. So in other words, Paul is saying, we owe our spiritual heritage to the Jews, to Israel. It is through Israel and it is through Judaism came the law, the understanding of the commandments of God. And it is through that came the gospel. So our spiritual roots go into Israel. Amen. So that's what I began to understand. And in other parts of the scripture, Romans 15, uh, Paul talks about how since we have been so blessed spiritually by the nation of Israel, it is good to be a blessing physically and materially to Jerusalem. So from that moment on, we as a church, we decided that we're going to give 10% of our 10%. Our tithe is a 10%. It's the first thing we give to God, right? At the beginning of the month, not at the end of the month. Because that's God's priority in our finances. So God's priority in evangelism is the Jew first. So we decided that we will also give first 
for evangelism to the Jews. So we began to give 10% of our 10% that we give to missions, the top 10% of that to work for evangelism among the Jews. And why do we do that? Simply because we want to support evangelism for the Jews. Now, let me ask you this question. If you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, how many of you believe that? All right. Do you have a responsibility to tell that to the lost? Yes or not? You have a responsibility. It's not just me. It's not the church alone. You have a responsibility to share that to the world. So let me ask this question again. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah to the Jews, because Jesus is both Savior of the world and also Messiah to the Jews, how many of you believe He's Messiah to the Jews? Then don't you have a responsibility to tell that to the Jews? Yes. Not in a hateful and angry manner. No, in love. See, sometimes we are afraid to share the gospel with people because we don't want people to be offended at us. Right? We don't want people to, to, to feel uncomfortable, so we, we don't share the gospel. We don't tell them you need to be born again. But let me tell you this. That person who is in hell right now is wishing that you had actually shared the gospel to him. He is more offended today that you did not share the gospel with him than if he were here today and you shared the gospel with him and he was offended. Right or wrong? We have an obligation. Around 2000 BC, Abraham is called. So he leaves his father's house and goes into the land of Canaan. And then we know that uh, out of Abraham came Isaac, out of Isaac came Jacob, out of Jacob came the 12, out of the 12 came the 70 that went to Egypt. And then they multiplied in Egypt and they were there for 400 years. Around 1500 BC, Israel came out of Egypt. And then Moses led them. That's when they received the law. And then Israel entered into a covenant of the law with God, the Ten Commandments, around this time. They entered into the promised land. They get the inheritance. And Israel becomes a nation. But over the years, Israel enters into idolatry with succeeding generations and different kings. They enter into idolatry. And so there was a curse that God had given to them we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you can turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Just want you to see the, the, the fulfillment of prophecy uh, just in the history of Israel, even up to the present moment. Deuteronomy 28 verse 62. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing, and you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, 
And there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. So this is what God had told him, if you do not obey my commandments and keep the law. But we know that Israel was judged by God primarily for two sins. Number one, idolatry. And number two, that they did not observe the Sabbath of the land. And so God begins to remove Israel out of the land. Beginning first by dividing the kingdom of Israel into the northern kingdom called Samaria. And then the southern kingdom called Judea or Jerusalem. Then the northern kingdom was destroyed, but by 600 BC, Nebuchadnezzar comes, the king of Babylon, and he conquers Jerusalem, and the Jews now are beginning to be scattered. From that moment onwards, even though after 70 years, a remnant comes back to rebuild Jerusalem, the Jews never really governed themselves as an independent nation from that time onwards. After the Nebuchadnezzar, it was the Medo-Persians who controlled that region. After the Medo-Persians, it was the Greek, one of the generals of Alexander, who ruled Judea and Samaria. After the Greek, it was the Romans. And we see that Jesus, the Gospels begin from the time of the Romans. So they never really control the nation from the time of 600 BC and Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the Romans really wanted to Romanize, in a sense, the Jews. But they found out that the Jews were the most rebellious because they could not Romanize them at all because the culture was so connected to the temple and to the religion and to Jerusalem that whatever they tried, building uh, cities of Rome, um, having different kings come that stand for Rome, they could not Romanize the Jews. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, the birth of the church, we see in 66 AD that the Jews rebelled against Rome. And that was because one of the, one of the Roman generals, he puts up idols in the temple of Solomon. So they rebel, and it was a massive rebellion. Um, it was all over the land, in a sense. The Jewish army took control of Palestine for a time. So Rome literally, you know, sent in everything, a huge army, and they marched all the way from France. Three months, all the way, the second legion, all the way to Israel, and they put Jerusalem in a siege. And we see in prophecy, even about the siege here in Deuteronomy chapter 28, about how you will eat your own children from your own placenta and so on. And all of that was fulfilled during that time. All the Christians fled because Jesus had told them in the Gospel of Matthew that when you see these things happening, flee to the mountains. So all the Christians had fled Jerusalem, but the Jews were there fighting in Jerusalem. lasted for three years. AD 70, the Roman army finally conquers Jerusalem, destroys the temple, 
destroys Jerusalem. Why? Because the Romans were determined to finally rid themselves of the Jewish rebellious nation. So they completely destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and they begin to disperse the Jews, systematically force them out of the land. How did they do that? They threw salt in the land so that they could not cultivate. They, they killed, uh, they slaughtered hundreds and thousands of Jews. So they were dispersed into the nations around them and they began to be dispersed all over the nations. And that's what Deuteronomy 28 tells us, that God will pluck them out of the land and they will go to the nations. And what we understand from the history of the Jews is that wherever they went, they never found peace. In every nation they lived, they were always reviled. They were always uh, hated by the people that they were living with. They were always regarded with suspicion. They never had a home. They never found rest. And in all the history, uh, in all the centuries, even after uh, the first century AD, after, after they were dispersed, wherever they would be, they would be uh, persecuted. They would be killed. The book of Esther is an example of that. All right? But history records that Israel was out of a land for the next 1,900 years. And the land was controlled by a succession of Gentile powers during the long period, the Ottoman Turks, after that the British, till 1948. Israel should never have been expected to gain her land back because no people who had ever been out of the land for several hundred years had ever regained it. But what we have is prophecy. And what we have is scripture. And even before 1948, Bible scholars were teaching that on the authority of God's word, God would restore Israel back to the land. And the Bible says that the countdown of the end of the age will not begin until Israel becomes a nation again. All right? So let's look at some of those scriptures. Look at Amos chapter 9. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. So when the Jews began to come back, by 1928, they started coming back to the nation of Israel. At that time, it was not the nation of Israel. It was Palestine. But Palestine was not a nation. Palestine was part of the Ottoman Empire. And the Ottoman Turks began to sell the land to the Jews so that they could raise funds for the army because they were fighting against the British. So they began to raise funds by selling these lands to wealthy Europeans who were mostly Jews who wanted to come back to the land. So they bought these lands and they started coming back. But when they came back to Israel, they found out that primarily it was desert and swamps. So that was what the Bible is referring to. They shall come back and they will build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. And I tell you, Israel is a huge vineyard. Israel is just a huge greenhouse. Amazing. From the north to the south, everywhere you go, it's like you see greenhouses. Everywhere, people are selling wine. Why? Because they produce an abundance of wine from the vineyards. I will plant them in the land. That's what God says. And no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. So no longer shall they be pulled out of that land. 
Now, even today, we have Iran saying that they will wipe out Israel from the map. Turkey saying they will wipe out Israel from the map. Don't worry. That's never going to happen. How do I know? The Bible says so. Amen. All right, look at Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 21. Then say to them, thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone. So this is not an allegorical interpretation. This is literal because it happened exactly as it is written. They were dispersed among the nations all over. All right? Wherever they have gone and will gather them from, the, from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountain of Israel. See, at that time, Israel was two nations. Samaria and Judea. But here, in the end of the ages, God says, when I bring them back, there will be one nation. So this is what we see today. And one king shall be king over them all. There shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with the detestable things, nor with any of the transgressions. But I will deliver them from all the dwelling places in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them, that they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Amen. So this prophecy also includes the fact that they will come to the knowledge of Jesus as the Messiah. Turn to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, verse 7. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. From the land of Egypt. Because at that time, they would always say about Israel, Israel came from Egypt. But the Lord says, they will not say that anymore, verse 8, but they will say something else. But as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country, that's referring to Russia, and is referring to all the other nations on the north, where primarily Jews have come from, and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. And that is what we in our times are saying. What do we say of Israel today? We don't say that Israel was brought from Egypt. Today what we say of Israel is these people came to that land from all the nations that they were driven off from. Amen. So we are literally living in the days when these scriptures are being fulfilled. So against all odds, in 1948, I believe May 18, 1948, Israel became a nation overnight. By a UN declaration. 1948. Overnight, there was no nation of Israel at all. And suddenly, overnight, when the British left, Israel became a nation. And of course, seven days after that, there was a war when seven nations came against them. And by the grace of God, they won. Now, if you look at Isaiah 66, verse 8, there's a prophecy that tells us about this. Isaiah 66, verse 8. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Shall a nation be born at once? 
Some translations say, shall a nation be born in a day? That's a better translation. Shall a nation be born in a day? And that's what we see in the history of Israel, that in a day, they became a nation. So when you look at Israel today, it's really a testimony to the existence of God and the faithfulness of God. How do I know God exists? If you were to ask me, show me one evidence, because we walk by faith. So we don't have physical things to point to that prove to the existence of God. But if people were to ask me today, how do you know God exists? Show me one thing, what we can, by all confidence, say is the nation of Israel. It's proof that God exists. Amen. And God wanted to prove to the world that He exists through the nation of Israel. Amen. So the nation of Israel existing today is a testimony to the existence of God and the faithfulness of God in fulfilling His promises. Amen. So we've understood, number one, the peace of Israel is important and we must be praying for it. Number two, the priority of Israel the priority of Israel in God's order of the salvation message. And by understanding the history of Israel, we appreciate this more. Number three, and I want to close with this point, the purpose of Israel today. What is the purpose of Israel today? Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Now we know that God gave the law to Israel so that through that nation, He will bring forth the message of righteousness, and the message of Jesus as a Messiah. Amen. So there's a purpose in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. The Messiah comes through the Jews. But what's present-day purpose? Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I said then, has God cast away His people? Has the Israel nation been replaced? No. That's what Paul is saying. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Scripture is so clear here. God has not cast them away. Amen. And then it goes on to talk about how he has kept a remnant. A remnant even in these last days of those who will believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Verse 11. I said then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. The stumbling was really for the benefit of the Gentiles. And through the fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Jews. Oh, I'm sorry, to the Gentiles. Amen. So now today, God wants to provoke the Israelites or the Jews, in a sense, to jealousy. Because when we say we worship Jesus, who is your Messiah, and Jesus, your Messiah, has blessed us. Jesus, your Messiah, has healed us. Jesus, your Messiah, has lifted us up. God wants that message to provoke them to jealousy so that it will turn their hearts to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Verse 12. Now, if the fall is riches for the world and the failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Which is referring to the Jews coming back to God. So if the Jews will come back to the Lord, there is great blessing that the world is going to see. Amen. The fullness of God's glory. Verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry 
and so on. Verse 15, For if they've been cast away is a reconciling of the world. When they rejected Jesus, it was an open door for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? What is life from the dead? Life from the dead is resurrection. Amen. Life from the dead is resurrection. So here the scripture is very plain. It's saying that when the Jews will begin to accept Jesus as the Messiah, it will be the beginning of the time that heralds the coming of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead. Amen. Hallelujah. So this is where the role of the church is today. We must understand this and we must bless Israel primarily so that they will know, hear, and understand the gospel. Why? Because when the Jews begin to accept Jesus as the Messiah, it will be life from the dead. In other words, the second coming of Jesus, which is the resurrection of the dead. Amen. Hallelujah. So we must understand this, this plan of God. That God wants today, the church, you know, to be invested in, in blessing Israel. Primarily for, so that Israel will come to know Jesus as the Messiah. And when they do it, it's going to be what heralds the end of the ages. The second coming of Christ. So we can, in a sense, speed in to our prayers, of course, to our work of evangelism, but also for our work for the Jews, the coming back of Christ. Amen? So we must understand this, and we must now begin to understand God's plan for Israel. Over the years, we're seeing that God is releasing a love for Israel in the body of Christ, more and more than in the past. Like I said in the, in the earlier part of, the, of my sermon, no other group has been maligned or hated so much as the Jews. Even beginning from the church. The church has a history of inquisitions against the Jews. In Spain, in Italy, other parts of where the church was strong and predominant, about you know, killing the Jews, trying to exterminate the Jews. Even during the time of the Crusades, you know, the people were killed, uh, raped, all in the name of Christ. All right, so that also developed a strong. Um, hatred among the Orthodox Jews towards Christians, which still exists even to this day. So there's much that needs to be bridged in that gap. All right? But what we need to understand is that today God is bringing the Gentile church and the Jewish church together. Because that's what we see in Ephesians chapter 2. One new man that God will bring from the Israel and from the Gentiles. One new man that he brings together in Christ. Amen. So we must understand this. And we must begin to, by revelation and the understanding of scriptures, begin individually and even as a church to be a blessing to the nation. How can we do that? Number one, you pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for salvation to the Jews. Number two, you can give. I mean, even your giving to the church is really a giving to Israel because we are sending a part of everyone's giving to the nation of Israel. Amen. Hallelujah. So we understand this from this teaching today that God is a promise keeping God. 
He's a faithful God. He will fulfill every promise that we see in scriptures. Amen. And the existence of Israel today is a sign that God exists. It's a sign that God is faithful. It's a sign that the word of God will be fulfilled. Everything that is written here. We also understand that this responsibility upon the church to be a blessing to Israel. Now, there is a blessing when we bless Israel. There was an orphanage that had about 1,000 kids. And the owner of that orphanage was very harsh and strict and very mean man. And they would mistreat the orphans in his orphanage. Next to the orphanage was a very rich man with a kind heart. And he would see how these orphans would be treated. So he decided to adopt 10 of those orphans. And he hoped that by the way he loved the 10, and by the way that he cared for the 10, and by the way that he gave them the Father's love, it would provoke the remaining orphans to jealousy and cause them to leave the orphanage and come to his house. So that's what he did. He adopted the 10. And he lavished all his love and grace upon this 10. And when all the other 990 orphans began to see that, many of them left the orphanage and came to that father's house. And many of them started coming. When many of them started coming, the original 10 got offended. The original 10 began to say that our father has rejected us, don't care for us anymore. So they left the father's house. So when they left that father's house, the father's heart was broken. Not only that, when a lot of the rest of the orphans, 990, started coming to the father's house, many of them began to ill-treat the original 10 orphans, accusing them, throwing stones against them. And it broke the heart of the father. And it drove out the original 10 out of the father's house. Now one day, one of the orphans came to the father and said, Father, I see your heart is broken. And so I really want to go and look for this ten and bring them back to your house. Now when one of those sons, the adopted sons from the remaining orphans, said that to the father, the father you know, went to his safe, took out all the money that he has, and gave them to the son and said, everything I have is at your, disposable, at your disposal if you will go and bring these original ten sons back to my house. Now this is a parable which simply shows that when we bless Israel, God will bless us. Why? Because that's his heart. And that's his plan. But when we bless Israel, we don't bless to be blessed. We bless because we want to be a blessing. It's the same motive when we give to the church. We don't give to be blessed. We give because we want to give to God, right? Our tithes and offering, we want to give. That's why we give. When we go and save souls on the streets of Kohima, we don't do it because we want to fill up our church. No, our motive is so that we want to get people saved. That they will not go to hell. Amen. Motive is important. So when we give to Israel, when we bless Israel, it's because we want to be a blessing to the Jews so that they will come to know Jesus, so that they'll be provoked to jealousy and come back 
to the Lord except Jesus as the Messiah. And as Israel begins to accept Jesus Christ, Jesus said that I will not come back unless you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew. I will not come back to this nation until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, when Israel begins to recognize Jesus as the Messiah and begin to call on to him as the Messiah, Jesus will come back. That is what he said. So Israel is critical in these last days for God's plan of salvation and the second coming of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Do you see the scripture in Matthew? Matthew 23, 20, 39. Look there and we'll close tonight. Matthew 23, 39. For I say to you, you shall see me no more, Jerusalem, the Jews, till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which also means, when you begin to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, when the Jews begin to say, Jesus is a Messiah, Jesus says, you will see me. He will come back. Amen. Hallelujah. So there is an obligation, a responsibility, a call for the body of Christ to really be a part of God's plan of salvation for the Jews. Amen. Because that is God's plan for the ages, for the end of the times. When the Jews begin to see Jesus as the Messiah, and now more Jews are accepting Jesus as the Messiah than ever before in history. The statistics that were given to us, 1948, there were about 24 Jewish Christians in Israel. 24 Jews who accepted Jesus as the Messiah out of the millions. And they were rejected. They were persecuted by the rest of the Jews. Today, they believe there are about 30,000 Jews in Israel, not around the world, who accept Jesus as the Messiah. And that number is increasing more and more, even in terms of government and military. They're growing up in the ranks. And they believe that they are in a time where truly the door is a great door for gospel and the Spirit of God to move among the Jews like never before. So we must see that, we must perceive that, and we must be a part of that. Amen. Are you all blessed today? Come, let's stand to our feet. I want to thank you very much for listening to this message. If you would like to get in touch with us with any prayer requests that we can pray for you, kindly email us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com or you can even visit our website faithharvest.in and message us and we will be privileged to get in touch with you. I would also encourage you to consider becoming a partner with us and help us in this vision to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and make it available to all the nations. All the details are available on our website and you can visit that. Thank you very much once again and God bless you.